Hello, and welcome to this episode of Such a Nightmare Conversations About Horror. My name is Katherine Troyer, and I'm so excited to be joined once again by Tony Dreska. Hey there. This is a podcast where the horrifically nerdy meets the terrifyingly academic, as we explore that fine line between the horrific and the horrible. Each episode looks at a specific horror text that is for better or worse, giving us nightmares. And we are so excited, I guess, for you to be joining us uh, to talk about, not, I, we are very excited to have you listening in. Yes. I, I less excited about the film you might be tuning into, which is 1982's Friday the 13th, Part 3, 3D. And with a title like that, that's the kind of episode we're getting into. <laughs> Yeah, so our opening sort of tagline where we say the the horrific or the horrible, this is definitely closer to the horrible than the horrific. Yeah, and then, and I gotta say, disappointing, very disappointing. Yeah. Coming off of the high of the franchise uh, of part two, which was, in fairness, we were it was just a fun slasher film uh, that I thought worked really well, and so I was excited to see. Where this one would go, but then part three is nowhere close to, I think, the sophistication of part two. Yeah, it's definitely not. And I think one of the things that you and I are missing out on, for better or worse, but I think it would have made the film more fun, is that we're not yeah. watching it in 3D, right? And and there's a lot of this film that is relying on you being G-Wizzed about all of the 3D effects that would at least, I think, make the film more entertaining, if not, even though I don't think it would fix any of the narrative issues. Right. I think the narrative issues would stand, but it might have been a bit more of an enjoyable experience if I had gotten to see the eyeball yeah. fly out. Uh, yeah. In 3D. Yeah, there are a couple of those moments that, you know, just I think would have been a lot of fun to see. And unfortunately, when you remove that, what we get are some really weird sort of framing of, of images, right? Because where you're like, why are we focused on that bat? And we get a, a plot that, that, like you said, after after Friday the 13th Part 2 is very disappointing in, in a lot of really important ways. Yeah. And uh, with that, I think it's, that's a good enough segue into, it's about <laughs> as good as the writing in this films of a segue into me explaining what the plot yeah. is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it follows Jason Voorhees, who is injured and he's needing some clothes. But So he stumbles into a general store where he promptly murders the people who are in the general store, <laughs> gets some clothes. Then we're Back at the camp where we're meeting an entirely new group, new bunch of young people who are headed to the camp. And but this time it's not with, a camp. It's like someone's it's, house, it, yeah, like it's a summer retreat. It's a summer retreat. So we're ditching the formal like gathering of camp, and, but we're still going out into the summer. And then they get into a confrontation with some with some biker gang <laughs> people. And then there's a whole biker biker subplot. But none of that really matters because Jason Voorhees is going to kill basically all of them anyway. And you know what? That, that That's as much effort as I'm gonna, willing to put into the plot summary of here. <laughs> that's, that's super fair because this film felt very strange to me because it seemed to be cr trying to create these characters that had these like rich backstories 
but they yeah. were even less interesting than the characters in one and two that didn't have uh, as developed of backstories. And I'm I'm not sure if I can articulate how that's possible, but I, I definitely felt like I didn't know any of these characters, even though they we've been given elements, right, of like so and so is pregnant, pregnant and yeah. you know, so and so a uh, real prankster is one which, of one of them. Which we'll have to talk about Shelley in a moment because Shelley's a big reason this film gets pulled down for me. Uh, uh yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but or like Vera has problems with her mom, right? Because we hear her fighting. So there's all of these weird, like, backstories being set up, but somehow they feel flatter than some of the characters in, in 1 and 2 that didn't have as much of a backstory, but still felt like real people. Well, and would you believe it? It was because none of these characters were really supposed to be in this. Oh and that gosh. the original idea for the sequel was completely scrapped, 100%. Wow. I, I I mean, I guess it kind of makes sense after seeing how it played out, but they originally wanted to continue with the same actress from part two uh, and focus on a traumatized Jenny Field who goes to college and is learning self-defense in response. She's becoming a warrior. And then once, she, but once she finds Paul's corpse inside her dorm, she swears vengeance on Jason Voorhees and tracks him down for a final confrontation. This would have been pretty awesome, I think. Actually, yeah. that sounds, I don't know about you, but that sounds like a, that sounds kind of really, honestly, kind of like more of like a 21st century understanding of the final girl, kind of like where we're seeing people take those storylines today. Yeah. And it's uh, interesting because the director of part two, Steve Miner, like has actually actively said that that some of the decisions they made that that you and I are not even trying to hide the fact we're criticizing were intentional decisions, right? So he's quoted as saying, with the Friday the 13th films, we had always made a conscious decision to make the same movie over again, only each one would be slightly different. And I'd always been intrigued with the concept of 3D. And then later he says, I spent a lot of time developing a number of different storylines and approaches that would be a breakaway from the other films. Finally, we all decided that it would have been a mistake. We have a certain audience that enjoyed Friday the 13th, and we owe them the best possible film that they will enjoy. Suspense and scares within the format we've already established. So there's already so there's also this like part of their, yeah, part of their like storytelling about this franchise that they purposefully are not deviating to something like what you said, which would have been a very different feel. That is super interesting. This very much idea of like almost like a ritualistic trotting out of the same beats within the formula. It very much more sim sounds similar to like a, I mean, I guess that is in a way very also 20, very 21st century filmmaking because this is very similar to like the logic of a Kevin Feige over at Marvel, who is very much like we owe it to the audience to give them a certain beats in a certain format, mm -hmm. in a mm -hmm. certain manner, in a certain tone. And if we deviate, we can do a little, little spice here and there, but it's the same product at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think a lot of it goes back to what it's very interesting that despite the fact that they, they haven't managed to secure a actress to play the final girl across franchises, that they really are sort of just presenting us with the same characters, but each time 
It's, it's like when you make a photocopy of something, right? And then you make a photocopy of the photocopy and then a photocopy of the, that photocopy, right? Eventually it's, it degrades the quality and you are, no longer have the original image. And I feel like we get quite a bit of that in this third film because we're having copies of copies of copies by this point and not in a good way, if there is a good way for that. Yeah. It feels like maybe if they had had Amy Steele, the, the actress from part two, agree to come back, maybe they could have plotted a different bit of a trajectory for them as a franchise. Yeah. Doing something a little bit different. They're going to actually develop the storyline. We'll see the final of a final girl who's come back and who's already faced Jason. But instead, every time you you reset, you basically reset it both for the characters, but also, I guess, for the audience then as well. Mm -hmm. It doesn't give you, I think that's why maybe I, this one felt a little bit for me, just like, ah, uh, kind of hard to watch sometimes all the way through. Cause it, I was like, I've already seen every bit of this before. Yes. There's no new development. It's all just like, oh, we're still watching these characters rediscover who Jason is. And now Jason has a hockey mask on in this one. Right. So which that's he will pretty, have that, henceforth. Which he'll have henceforth. And, that's a, I guess, moment to interrupting this rant there. That is a very good choice. I yes. Thought. It is like, I, I, there's a reason the hockey mask yeah. became so iconic, yeah. I suppose. It really is like whoever it's, I think you bring up a good point. It's easy to, to forget that like somebody made that decision, right? Someone was right. like, this is the thing. Because for us, it just feels like, well, what else would you use? Because this is, this is so iconic. So I want to go back to what you were saying about, you know, sort of like what this film is not giving us and, and that's sort of anything um, be because the, the scholarship that I want to talk about today actually sort of disagrees with us on this front. And oh, yeah, and it's interesting. It. Yeah, it's interesting to hear what this individual has to say. So if you remember, those of you that are listening, we, I've been citing a lot the Horror Homeroom, which is a site that has all sorts of stuff, including podcasts and special issues where they're bringing in scholars. And they have one that's entire issue that's dedicated to Friday the 13th when it turned 40 years old. So there's an article by Wickham Clayton, which is an awesome name, called Killing the Sad Fat Guy and the Pregnant Lady, Uncomfortable Death in Friday the 13th, Part 3, 3D. And so Clayton mentions uh, another scholar named Vera Dika, who wrote that about Part 2, that the characters were incredibly unreal and that it added to the general theme of their expendability because you were just going to be excited by viewing attractive bodies being damaged, but you wouldn't feel guilty because they were just so plastic. And and yeah. Clayton says that, you know, he, he very much agrees with uh, Dika's analysis, although we do have that character of Mark who, who lost the use of his legs in a motorcycle accident. So, you know, a couple of the characters have some more depth. Some deviation. Yeah. But where Clayton and I disagrees with, I think, you and I is that they argue, and this is a quote, although part three does not explore character pathos, to the truly uncomfortable depths that the later film does, meaning part five, it still manages to develop characters fully enough that their deaths are more unpleasant, difficult, and challenging than in the previous Friday the 13th movies. And then in particular, Clayton, as the title of their article suggests, is going to be arguing that that's particularly true of Shelley and of Debbie. Yeah. So then uh, Clayton goes through and gives a whole bunch of evidence from, from the film to, to support their argument about how Debbie being pregnant in particular um, sort of complicates that death and then um, how Shelley 
is at one point, I think Clayton says Shelley is a pretty likable character, which is where I really begin to to have some some major problems. Does does the author give any evidence to support the claim? Yeah, let me see. <laughs> so they say I, um, I after watching the film, I I think the Shelley character is quite annoying. <laughs> yeah. So so they say that. There's this element of pathos because Shelley is joking about his weight, but he appears both sad and disappointed that then there's a little part that's talking about the fact that although characters like Ned from whichever one isn't self-effacing, Shelley, on the other hand, continuously reinforces both through overt dialogue and performance his sadness and objection. Okay, so I completely, completely disagree in part because... I th- I think that Shelley is that like that label we've started to use like the nice guy where you know yes. they say like I'm, I'm but I'm a nice guy and I would never blah 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 when Vera says that she's not interested he calls her a name mm-hmm. and he and then he tells her that that's what she gets for being alone when he scares her later he is you know const- no one else not a single other character is making fun of him or in any way demeaning him, and yet he is constantly just, well, I can't go skinny dipping because I'm not skinny. No one ever said that you couldn't go. Not a single person has been rude to you or unkind. You are being obnoxious, and then when people are upset that you're being obnoxious, you're blaming them. And so he's actually that definition of the the guy that that I think is in many ways more dangerous for women than some of the more aggressive guys that you immediately know to to avoid it's a it's the darker side of toxic masculinity yes. it's the like entitled entitled side yes. of it rather than the like overtly aggressive abrasive front of it it's this coming from the same place they're just different tactics yes. in order yes. to achieve, achieve the same similar results whereas yeah, i feel I, like I, ned I, and I ted Neither of them, you know, they were both jokesters, you know, they, but neither of them seemed to know entirely when it was time to stop joking, but they were not using their jokes to punish people. And, and I, I, cause I agree that I, I found Shelley quite, to be quite off-putting and it's very, this, the deprecating act that again, I think you're right. The reason, the reason that I think it comes off as insecure and hard to stomach is there's no, this the film doesn't give us any no any it doesn't show us any of what that Shelley is talking about that's all told by him to this yes. other character which i don't know maybe it's just because we watch too many horror we watch so many horror movies we're just trained to look for it i or maybe it's just because Shelley's a bit creepy <laughs> you know i think it's because Shelley's a bit creepy and i i think you're correct that we've been taught to look for something that that maybe in 1982 audiences had not been taught to look for it. And it's not so much in horror as it is just that emerging, like you said, element of toxic masculinity where increasingly women are saying and reporting, you know, here, here are the people that, that would be, you know, but don't you just want a guy, nice guy to take care of you? You know, don't you just want, I'll treat you right. And then when they say, no, thank you, then it's, well, you're an ex, right? Whatever, whatever. term they're going to do that use that that is always some sort of you know insult to women and that's who Shelley is right like there's nothing redeemable about him and even his death isn't really sympathetic because we don't see the violence right we see the aftermath of it because we see him stumble in and yes it is it the one thing that I will say kind of made me feel bad because it's a fear of mine would be that like to be in actual crisis and to have people not believe you right like that's terrifying but even that like it just i don't feel bad for him he hasn't done anything to make me feel 
Like he Aside deserves. from, of course, the general, like, people shouldn't die. Yes. In general. But yes. we're talking about an horror movie. Like, Correct. Do we feel particularly bad for this guy in, a, in comparison to maybe some of these other characters? Who, and in fairness to the other characters, not like the other characters are really giving us a, a lot to root in favor of. No. Either. Like, I, I guess to some extent it is interesting that they've included someone who's de- the Debbie who is pregnant in yes. there. But I don't necessarily agree as much with the emphasis that the author puts on it in the film. Because I think Debbie as a pregnant character, it basically just functions as, I don't know, a prop. And that's maybe too dismissive. But like in the way that some characters would have a red hat and they're the character with the red hat. I just felt like that was all that she really had. It didn't really affect her decisions or motivations very much within the story. It was just an accessory. I think you used that word earlier yeah. on in the podcast. Yeah, so so Clayton says, The Friday the 13th series may repetitively reconfigure its source material, but this does not necessarily mean that the franchise simply lazily rehashes the same story. And then they argue, The Friday the 13th films, famously, according to Robin Wood, embody the reactionary politics of Reagan's America. But considering the U.S. rights view of the sacredness of unborn life, the murder of an unborn child and Debbie's murder seems in shockingly bad taste with no real moral impetuous as there is with the general perception of the other murders here don't drink don't do drugs don't have premarital sex and then they argue as a result debbie's murder would sit uneasily with any political position both on the far right the murder of the unborn child as well as on the left in the murder of the unmarried mother so certainly you know this article came out quite a while ago and certainly it's speaking to things that are very very relevant today but i don't think that 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 reading quite matches how little of the film is actually spent on on Debbie being I, pregnant. I think that's what I mean. It's a I think it's it's a very intriguing idea for a character yes. and that I think has been identified. Yes, and is it and it is using having a including the character of a pregnant woman within a horror story. I think this author they've just explained exactly why there is so it it would be so right for political commentary particularly now within our current environment environment everything that has just happened with our with the current supreme court rulings and things so i think it's a particularly salient argument i just think it doesn't hold a lot of ground in this film that doesn't dedicate basically any screen time to exploring that ideas whatsoever and I, i know that they just took the time to point out that the murder is kind of a little bit separated from the others at least in the article but I don't really think it is in any no. way. It's not really shot different. The score is not significantly no. different on that. We don't linger on it. There's no extended look at like the, I mean, they could have really gone all out in horrifying yeah. and showing this, the mang- a mangled fetus inside, or at least sh- showing some accent on right. the fact that it was a pregnant woman who was incapacitated, but yes. instead it's just more emphasis on it's another person, yes. which is yeah. fine. There's no just... way in 82 that they would have been able to have a mangled fetus, but, I... but you were correct. <laughs> you were correct. Okay, all right. Uh, listen, I didn't, I'm but, not saying we should have that. But you were... I was just saying it was an option. <laughs> I don't think it was, considering they were once again trying to void X ratings just for a little bit more blood. I don't think that would have worked. But that is true. That is but to true. your point, though, uh, you know, like they could have stabbed her through the stomach or, you know, they could have done something else. Instead, she dies in almost the exact same fashion as Kevin Bacon's character dies, right, where she's right. laying down and then something is, is shoved um, up through her. 
she's not even killed, you know, while she's having sex or, or any of the things, or even when she's in the shower, you're so very right that there's nothing to distinguish her death. And, and that when I was thinking about this film this morning, I realized that so for whatever reason, and maybe it's because I hadn't seen all the films in Friday the 13th franchise, or maybe it's just because it's the franchise that I just kind of assumed was the most conservative. I don't know. But for whatever reason, I really thought that the Friday the 13th franchise was the one that we saw the most of do bad things and you will be punished for those bad things. But so far in films one, two, and three, there's no like causation, right? Like, so-and-so doesn't die because they just light, lit up a joint and they were so high that they didn't notice what was happening. They're smoking weed at various points and then they get killed when they're actually being proactive and trying to turn the lights on. Rick isn't killed for being this like kind of douchey character who's like, hey, by the way, you should be over your trauma and I'm horny. He's not like killed for have, pulling down his pants and he's not able to run away in time. You know, he's just killed actually for for defending Chris um, and, trying to yeah. and trying to protect her. So in this film, I feel like none of the characters are being killed to punish them for the things that I have always been taught slasher films are doing. So it's it's almost more of a correlation than a causation. They just happen to be doing drugs and they happen to be killed. She just happens to be pregnant and she is killed, right? There's no like she is killed because she's pregnant or she's killed because she's an unwed mother or, un, you know, having sex prematurely. Like she's just killed because Jason is killing. Yeah. I think you feel exactly what you've just said is that it's just the story is kind of just wherever Jason is meandering around to, he's in a killing mood. And yes. so he's the story meanders wherever Jason night is it going to meander soon yeah. and i suppose that there's not anything intrinsically wrong yes. with that story approach and i guess i also really see the argument that's probably more realistic to how these types of killings actually occur however yeah on the other hand i also do enjoy being entertained yes. i'm not ashamed of that yeah and so i out of like a out of a horror film particularly out of a franchise this is that is this big, has this much resources, and has the chance to take risks. Like, we've seen from some other franchises, like, say what you will about Nightmare, but they kept taking risks until, like, the fourth or fifth <laughs> this one. This is true. Um, the same thing with the Scream films. Yes. Uh, even with the newest one. Like, yes. Like, it, I don't particularly care for no. it, but they were taking risks. Yes. I think it's just for a little bit disheartening that so early on into this franchise already, we've reached the point where it feels like the filmmakers have kind of given up. Well, Miner said, right? Like, we realized that it was sort of our responsibility to to keep copying this formula. And, you know, I think what part of the problem is, though, is that, again, it's that, like, idea of a copy of a copy because... In the first one, she's killing them as, you know, punishment for the death of her son. Are they responsible? Right. No, absolutely not. But, you know, like... But it, it kind of, it's still yes. like a kind of a moralizing tale yes. about a, a mother who feels wronged by the yes. world and takes out, is taking out her anger. Yes. Yes. And, and Interesting. part two, you know, is he's kind of having this like PTSD moment right there at a camp. He has just lost his mom. He is mentally ill. But by part three, right, they're not even at a camp. They're just in the woods. And it's not even Friday the 13th because it's supposed to happen on the 14th and 15th. Right. So there's just an awful lot that is like removed 
that that like we need in order to to have the good parts of <laughs> it kind of feels like every single one is just made like you only got to watch the last one and then you were like took a week after watching the previous film and then attempted to describe the plot of it yes. and you of course got a lot of details wrong in the middle but then the filmmakers were just like whatever that's close enough yes no one will know the difference yes yes but it's not even like how Evil Dead, right, had like one and two where there was a similar like thought experiment of like what would happen. It was, you're right. It's just like they were like, describe it to us and that'll be our next movie. And I think you yeah. know that a film is going to be struggling to have much of a plot when the first 10-ish minutes are just the previous literally film. Scene. Yeah. Like they literally, yeah, they, yeah, that is true. Well, I think that it goes to show you how much they really did maybe intend on at one point having part two tie directly into yeah, part yeah. three, that obviously didn't happen. Yeah. Um, and honestly, I'm not really a hundred percent sure exactly why we needed to see that. No, um, because in it this, didn't in the, do any sort of setup. It, it, I guess, except for the context of like, they had Pamela's head again at the end. And like, I guess you wouldn't a hundred percent, a hundred percent know who that is. I guess. Without that. But I'm not even 100% sure that if you just watched this one and you saw that opening scene, that by the time you got to the end, you would remember or care about that context Yeah. if you already weren't a big fan. So, alas. And, you know, it seems like the biggest thing was just, like, was exactly... The filmmakers wanted to do the same thing. And the cast, uh, and everything I've read about the making of it, the cast is just talks about how they felt that it wasn't the story or their performances that were the emphasis. They realized about pretty quickly into the filmmaking that the thing everybody there cared about was making sure the 3D effects worked for the movie. They would have they would try uh, and change the lines a little bit just to see if anybody would stop <laughs> them and do anything, and they never did. Wow. Uh, the only thing they were so focused on because apparently it sounds like it, not a lot of impressive stuff happening, story, performance, direction wise, but uh, over on the filming side, the they invented new kinds of cameras for this film to capture the 3D wow. in a new way that Paramount, they kind of, they helped fund and bought the rights to these cameras after a fact because it was these the Marx Polarized Corporation was working so hard on this. So a lot of impressive technology yeah. and advances happening over on the 3D side, which for which we didn't even get to see. I know. But... <laughs> yeah. And and I think that, you know, that's okay, right? Like if you are truly not that interested in your story because you want to play with technology. That is a perfectly acceptable thing. It's just that for anyone not watching it in 3D, right, it becomes very broken. And did somebody, somebody maybe should have passed that message along to James Cameron before they guessed uh, Greenlight Avatar 2 oh through my gosh. 500 or yeah. whatever. <laughs> Well, you know, he can he can do whatever he wants because he has brought in so much money that, you know, it doesn't matter. He can he can do. He'll probably invent all new like he'll probably be in 40 for that. I feel like for the next Avatar. So I, I did want to say a couple things that I think are worth noting about this film. One is that there were potentially some alternative endings. Um, yes. One of them involved Jason. One of them involved Jason whacking Chris's head off with a machete, but that has never surfaced yet. And so Clayton says in at the end of of their article that in their opinion that Friday the Thirteenth is a perfect part three is a perfect example of how by 1982 the slasher was taking itself increasingly less seriously and was content to veer ever closer to camp. Actually, that's not that's not Clayton. That's someone else. He's quoting someone else. 
But then Clayton says, ending a film with the decapitation of the final girl, who has a visible trauma of a potentially darker sort than usual, reads to Clayton as more deeply unpleasant than anything the series has given us so far. And yes, if we had had that scene, then I could have said that like there's some some ways in which it's creating character sympathy, but we don't end there, right? No. And I and I also would disagree with this person that that Clayton is quoting. I don't read part three as campy. Yeah, that's that's a that seems a pretty big stretch to label this in any way associated to camp. I don't think that this is a particularly extravagant film. The kills in this aren't even... I was expecting more. I thought that yeah. the, the kills actually significantly went down. Yes. There's nothing that rivals the spear killing from part two. No. Or honestly, even just some of the other kind of like stabbings. or Because at least in part two, they were shot more and edited more well, in a more interesting way. But many of the ones in part three would have had the Jeebus factor of feeling like they were coming out. I guess you're right. If, so, if we had seen them in yes, the 3D. Yes. And maybe, who knows, so so that argument about part three leading the franchise more into campus from um, someone whose last name is Kirschwell in, in the book, the teenage slasher movie book. And maybe maybe Kirschwell is talking about it being with the 3D, right? Because I'm, I'm hoping that that I'm hoping that that would add something, you know, a little bit more sort of ridiculous and over the top than what we experienced, uh, because what we experienced, no pun intended, was flat. So definitely two dimensional. Yeah. The the other thing I do want to say, especially in light of you saying what they had hoped part three to be originally, I, I do appreciate the fact that they are trying, they are not succeeding, but they are trying to introduce the idea of the lingering effects of trauma. Because in part two, you know, we see that, you know, she's like, no, mom, I'm traumatized. Thank you very much. And then, yeah. and then of course, she gets killed. And then in, in part three, Chris keeps being like, I wasn't sure I wanted to come back because I had this massive trauma. And not only from like this creeper in the woods, but also from my parents getting real aggressive. And then at the end, right, she's had a mental breakdown. But it's, it doesn't get there, right? Like it, it shows us that trauma exists, but it doesn't do anything with that concept. And that's too bad. But I do also feel like that's more than I expected from the Friday the 13th franchise. So if only trauma was able to be captured in 3D, then maybe <laughs> the filmmakers might have focused a little bit more on it. I think they tried. I think they tried real hard. They tried. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I really wish I could have seen it in 3D. Me too. I wonder I wonder if it really would add something. I bet it, because I bet it would, like, seeing it in 3D and, and I bet the only places that show it in 3D are, like, show, fan showings yeah, now. Yeah, So I feel like that might be the place to see yeah. this film. Because, you know, there's a lot of moments, like, right, where the mouse is on the ledge or, you know, the snake jumps out. and So I think there's enough moments where you would at least have the sort of visceral cheap thrill of of a jump scare, right? But which you know we don't which, have that. <laughs> maybe so maybe I would maybe I would find it, this movie even more insufferable. You may three D because I you know me I I'm a I, I I'm not a huge jump scare fan. I think you'd probably be okay with it because I feel like adding three D may does make things a little bit more campy. Right, because you're like we are aware that this is ridiculous and over the top, and that we had to like and spin. we shot it in this way mm -hmm. to be yeah. So I wonder if it would have just because it would have felt more intentional, unless like this is the only way we can scare you. But I don't know. We until we can see it in 3D, we will never know. <laughs> so if there are any, if anybody knows of any 3D fan showings of Friday the 13th yeah. Part Three 3D, feel free to <laughs> let us know. Yeah, and we will we will hop down and and watch it, and then be prepared to change our our opinion completely. Until then. 
part three was not <laughs> it's definitely third on the list so far of like the rankings of the Friday, mm-hmm. i think so i think it's a clear three I yeah think so. it's I a, lo- like a significant gap three and i i wasn't expecting that i was already that's hard i was already yeah. not a huge fan of the franchise and then and part two really turned it me around at least to yeah. being having a bit more of an open mind but then i feel this is This is the Friday the 13th that I had heard and thought the rest of the franchise is going to be. So I don't know any, I really genuinely, I don't, I know that this is the 3D one and I know that they get wackier from here. I'm hoping, I'm hoping that the wackier, the wackiness of them will endear me to, to them because I know that like someone, I mean, people were like, oh, it's the, you're watching the third one, right? Like, I don't think the third one is most people's favorites. Because we do start having some repeating characters. We do start having some increasingly absurd plot lines. And I, I'm i more down for that. So I'm hoping that as we get back into 4 onward, that that it won't Things be this. Things will start picking yeah. up again. Yeah. Yeah. Because and I'm still... I've not totally given up yet. No. I, I'm still intrigued. And I mean, I guess I don't really have the opportunity because uh, we've already, we have, yeah. we are definitely recording more Friday the yeah. 13th. Yeah, I was going to so. say, it doesn't matter <laughs> how we feel. There will be more uh, coming. But I'm still, in, I'm intrigued. Part four, you have my attention. Don't squander it. So that concludes our discussion on Friday the 13th, part three, 3D. We will, as Tony alluded, be returning back to the franchise for like another year still because there's just so many of them. But we are going to circle back to one of our like mini themes that we've been doing. And what is our next film going to be on? We're going to be returning to the Nosferatu cinematic universe and exploring a unique addition in the canon of Nosferatu. We're going to be talking about 2000's Shadow of the Vampire, starring Willem Dafoe and John Malkovich in a meta-fiction horror film version of the making of the classic Nosferatu film. That's also a Nosferatu film? Yes, I'm so excited. This is the reason... Being able to have a reason to finally see this film is the reason I was like, we, we should go back and, and watch the, the other Nosferatu's because I've been wanting, this has been on my bucket list for a long time, but since I only watch horror closely for the podcast or for teaching and I haven't had a chance to assign it. Although if it's as good as I hope it will be, who knows, I may have to, to sub it in for something else. But I had it, my cousin-in-law was like, when I told him I was going to be watching this film, he was like, oh no. And then he paused and he was like, you are not going to be disappointed. So apparently it is a beloved film uh, and I'm very, very excited to watch it and to get to talk to you about it. I am also excited. It's Willem Dafoe is one of my favorite yeah. actors. So And, and I, both of us adore anything that's sort of meta behind the scenes. So yeah. And love, I love vampires. Yeah, so, yeah it should be uh, really exciting. Is, and those, all the other Nosferatus have been really, really good. So I'm excited. Yeah. Me too. For those of you that are sort of paying attention to what we're releasing when we're going to hold off, we mentioned in in our last episode that we were going to be coming up soon to discuss Alma Katsu's novel, The Fervor. We're going to pause on that for just a minute because Tony is moving. 
gas and that does require just a smidgen of energy and time not much just a little uh it, it is a it is requiring uh the weest amount of time commitment just a minute that you here can, a minute that you there. can possibly yeah. imagine yeah i'm i'm doing this thing called micro moving i <laughs> i, I, I imagine moving you take one five objects day. and then that's I, just it uh yeah yeah that's it it's you you yeah it's exactly if you can't sure wear it then you don't perfect. take it yeah it's the it's a version of the Marie Kondo. Oh you know, yes, you know what I'm talking I about. Do, I do. <laughs> yeah, you and I can make that be a. Uh, that's what we'll become known for is a really terrible way to move. So we will be coming back to the fervor, but it's going to be a little bit longer. We're deciding what we're going to sub in. It will be a film, and we will know more uh, in a, a little bit. But for now, you know to be watching Shadow of a Vampire, and in all of that free time, because hopefully. You will, listeners are not moving. Tony, what should they be doing while they are desperately waiting for our, the next episode? Well, they can check out some of our old episodes wherever you get your podcasts from Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Amazon Podcast, wherever we're on there. <laughs> uh, listen to our old episodes. Give us a rating, review. Five stars is always appreciated. You can get in touch with us on social media, which I've linked in the description of this podcast. Let us know what you want to see. We love to hear from you. Yeah. And to Jackson, thank you so much for editing this episode and so many others because you are the reason that I am willing to still do this because I hate editing podcasts so very much. So thank you so much, Jackson. To all of you listening, thank you so much for listening to our nightmares. And have a spooktacular day. That jump scare. <laughs> Thought you were done with us, but we're back in here because we've got an update for you. So I know we just promised you, and you just got done hearing the words from our mouth, that we were going <laughs> to do Shadow of the Vampire. But life happens, and it turns out the conglomeration of streaming companies is not always a good thing. And yeah. we can't find Shadow of the Vampire like, anywhere. anywhere. Yeah, not even for like an exorbitant price to watch. It's, it's nowhere to be seen, which means we just need to put a pin in it. I still want to watch it, though, really badly. But now I'm going to have to buy it if I want to watch it. I don't know if I'm ready to do that. Yeah. So. Or ho just hope that eventually one of our streaming overlords will part the clouds and bring yes. it out of the digital archives for yes. us to suckle at the digital teat of Shadow oh, of the Vampire. That was so disgusting. Okay. So. <laughs> so in short, we are saying nope to Shadow of the Vampire and yes to Jordan Peele. Nope. Oh my gosh, I'm still so traumatized. So in case you are also traumatized by all the visuals that have been thrown your way, what we are saying is that our next episode is going to be on Jordan Peele's Nope. And that's a new film, right? So it's it will have just come out or will be just about to come out on um, Blu-ray and DVD and stuff. So it's a perfect time to see it if you haven't seen it or to rewatch it if you got to see it in theaters. We also are putting a pin in our discussion of Alma Katsu's The Fervor. It's not that we don't want to talk about that book. It's that the summer has been a lot. Tony moved across country, is starting a new program. Yay, I'm so excited. I accepted a new role and also decided to pack a lot of trips. It is super exciting. It is super exciting. Um, but it means that we both said we could do a lot more than we actually could. And it's really our fault. We should have known both of us should have known individually, collectively, that we were making plans that were not tenable. But there you have it. 
So the good news is, is that we will have more book discussions coming up because Tremblay has the Paul Bearers Club that just came out and Jones mm-hmm. and Hendricks have books coming out in January and February. So we will have discussions about books. And there's a lot of other books. Good yeah, horror, exactly. And I would really also still like to talk about uh, the fervor. But for now, fervor, yeah. our next episode is going to be on Nope. And yay. And now the episode will end for real. <laughs>